Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my longtime friend, Rachel Sheeran. We talked about Bane's 2001 album, Give Blood. We also talk about how Bane changed the course of Rachel's life and helped instill the idea of being your authentic self. I've known Rachel for more than 15 years, and also I've known her to be one of the biggest Bane fans I've ever met. It's been amazing watching her grow into a powerhouse of a public speaker, one that's spoken all over the country and is an award-winning keynote speaker. You may know her from her viral TED Talk, How to Burn Out and Be Successful, or features in Washington Post and USA Today. I personally know her as one of my wife's best friends, and truthfully, one of mine as well. There's not a lot of people that are allowed to just walk into my house without knocking. Well, anywho... Please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger. Revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. Also check us out on social media at Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod to keep up with episodes. Okay, no more delays. Let's chat with my good friend Rachel. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? It is going so good, Josh. How about you? Uh, Pretty good. Just a long day. Yeah. When have they not been? (laughs) I know. I feel like every episode I say that. It's like, oh, it's been a long day. It's like there's never an episode where it's like, this is the perfect time of day that you caught me and I have the right amount of energy to do this conversation that we're about to have. That's why you have to quit your job and go on tour forever, Josh. Mm, or speak to people forever. I don't know. Somehow I could podcast for uh, for a living. I would probably rather do that at this point than touring. But, okay. So we are talking about Bane's album, Give Blood, that came out in 2001. And that came out, that was their second album. Came out on Equal Vision Records. It's actually their third. Sir, th- well, I don't know. They say well, that holding, well, okay. So holding this moment's a seven inch. And it, it all comes down to this. I think they count as a collection, right? I would say that that was... That's I mean, their first. I'd, I'd consider that their second album. I think the EP, Holding This Moment, to me, is a standalone album. But mm. I'm, not, I'm not of the musical snobbery or technicality yeah. world. Yeah. I would say that anything more than six or seven songs is a record. And I mean, so, that's a good point in terms of this, because this itself is a 25 minute long record. So it's like, what are we counting as a record in terms of? So, yeah. All right. We'll count this as our third record. Oh, we'll make the adjustment. Uh, I will make sure the super producer makes the edit uh, for that. But uh, so we are talking about Bane. And I know that this is a band that you've loved for a long time, but when was the first time you heard Bane or this album? That took, that that question kind of takes me by surprise a little bit because have you ever had a band that you listened to and you didn't know it existed, but then you heard it and then it was everywhere? Um, yeah. that, that I feel like was Bane for me. You know, um, I grew up in the age of samplers, so record samplers were all the rage. And I remember um, getting an Equal Vision sampler. And it was, I think it was like, it was something about like West Coast, East Coast, and it had a lot of great bands that didn't have Bane on it. 
but it was one of those records um equal vision at the time had bands like saves the day on it and it mm -hmm. had 10 yard fight and shy halud and you know if you take all those bands individually it was kind of unusual to have such a wide range of sounds yeah. and bands and stuff and so then um, later on, I got, you know, I subscribed, right? You're mailing in these this cash to Equal Vision, uh, like we did. And there was a 2000 Equal Vision sampler and it had H2O and it had Snapcase. And then there were some Bane songs. And um, that was, you know, at the time I, I've never been straight edge and the songs on that sampler were definitely straight edge songs. And I loved them. There's nothing like, can we start again? I, that yeah. I'd ever heard and I think has ever come behind it, you know, that samples things so well, that packs such a punch. Every song was like just that perfect amount of energy and lyrics. And I definitely am a lyrics person. And also too, uh, once you heard Aaron Bedard's voice, you'd not heard yeah. anything else like it, right? That that was not a band where you were like, hmm, is this Poison the Well? Like, who is this? Uh, you knew it was them. And I think that's, that's probably where um, where I'd first heard it, and I loved it. And I'm from Massachusetts, but I was living in North Carolina. And you know, to anyone out there that's ever moved, you know, when they were a kid, you know, I moved uh, to North Carolina I was about ten, and I was always really proud of being from Massachusetts. You know, Hellfest 2000 DVD, and you actually yeah. get to see a show, and that was probably the first time I ever saw Bane um, was on that DVD, and it blew my mind. Yeah, so thinking about Equal Vision Records, they were there's like such a diverse label. Like you were saying, like Saves the Day were on there. I think like later on, a little bit later on, Coheed and Cambria. But even like looking at how that label came to be is so interesting. Like it was started by Ray from Youth Today and Better Than a Thousand. So kind of that Krishna consciousness stuff, and then it just kind of moved into the Equal Vision, I guess, that we knew of the time. And even more so now, like really anything could come out on Equal Vision. So like yeah. just thinking about the home that it was at that time, like definitely was like hardcore centric. Uh, yeah. I feel like in this era, um, yeah. this was probably pre, this was kind of pre either pre before like Coheed and Cambria and a lot of the more indie ish kind of stuff. But yeah, so I, I don't know all that to say for some reason, like around this time, like Bane didn't hit me. I, it's like, I don't know if I knew anyone that... It's like, I knew there were a big band. Like, there were unavoidable band. But I don't feel like I had anyone in my life that was like, around the time you're talking about, that was like, you have to listen to Bane. Yeah. You know, but I also saw people just the Bane shirt, you know? Yes, the iconic logo. You know, yeah. talk about a great example of branding super early on. It's like Bad Brains and PMA, you know, or the yeah. Black Flag Bars. Um, but, you know, it's interesting you mentioned like people who were really into Bane and, you know, it wasn't in your circle. I think there's a couple reasons for that. And it, it, part of it was the reason I loved Bane so much. I mean, and always will. And part of it was that I feel like Bane was very counterculture to a lot of what was going on in hardcore at the time. You know, Bane is one of those bands that was always really vocal about people not being violent at shows, you know, and they've stopped shows, would would leave shows, shut it down. Um, they call out people in the pit, you know, and this was around the time that Tough Guy Hardcore was yeah. definitely popular. And interestingly enough, you know, the first time um, 
you know, I didn't go to the show. I wasn't, I, I would say I probably wasn't old enough to go at the time, but I remember I was a fan of Hatebreed and Hatebreed and Bane did a tour because they're from a similar area, Massachusetts. And you think yeah. about those two bands and I mean, Hatebreed can bring out some serious violence, yeah. you know, and energy, but it, you know, what's interesting about Bane is that, you know, Bane, Bane at its core is a volatilely angry, positive hardcore band. And there was yeah. this idea of you can be angry and you can be upset at the world. And there's so many emotions in this album specifically that's of loss and change and disappointment. But it didn't mean that, you know, to feel that way, you could act out in violence. So especially, too, since you grew up in Wilmington, you know, that's a that's more of a tough guy scene probably yeah. growing up. Um, and then, you know, the opposite side was that Bane was one of those bands that, you know, was looked at as a converged side project for a really yeah. long time. And, you know, then there was some drama right around this album coming out with Aaron Dahlbeck basically being told, um, you know, you love Bane more, get out of Converge, which is huge drama. And I remember being so anti-Converge at the time because I thought it was so messed up. Like the guy got kicked out of his own band that he had been in for like yeah. seven plus years. And, uh, you know, hey, he made the right choice to me, but yeah i mean i think yeah everything worked out in the end and you know but like i think what's funny to look back on now is that i think that i chose converge in the divorce you know yes. like for some and i wasn't i've never even been a huge converge fan but it was like i knew a little bit about the drama and i was just like i side with converge and I've, i feel like i've i've told that kind of thing often not not about them but like just kind of siding with one band and then kind of looking back like i don't even know what i was really siding with it seems <laughs> i mean it's kid shit you know it's just like it's seen beef josh seen yeah beef. and i was just like well converge like fit more of my aesthetic at the time even though i really feel like looking back i wasn't like the biggest jane doe fan you know like because that was like one of the first ones for me and that's such an iconic album. That's one of the things, you know, being an adult, like you're saying, and looking back at it, I don't know how I would feel. I, I really feel for Aaron Dahlbeck there because he was a huge part of Jane Doe. And, you know, in the interviews, I remember Jake Bannon, like really downplaying how influential uh, and how much he wrote and all that kind of stuff. But could you imagine putting out what arguably is one of the top records of the aughts? and being kicked out of the band before you do her on it that, that's brutal yeah that's absolutely brutal but um yeah it's funny you mentioned the divorce because th there were things that if you were this way or you were into that that means you couldn't like other stuff and yeah. i definitely did that with converge i was a vain person did you hang out with anyone that had a converge hoodie um you know what i remember <laughs> once at a show it was a shy halud show and a guy hit on me um, and he was wearing a Converge hoodie. And I remember I specifically would not go out with him because he was going to Converge. And uh, I don't regret that, but I think it's funny now, the, the things that we kind of, the grooves we get into. And that's, I think that's one of those things I have to acknowledge about Bane. It, yes, it's a band. Um, yes, it's full of many flawed people, um, right? But at the end of the day, Bane was a lot more of like a culture and a message and an ethos to me and incredible music and, and all this kind of thing. But the ethos of it was if you were into Bane, you believed in what I believe is positive mental attitude. I think that you believed in being part of something bigger than yourself. I think you believed in 
the pain of probably loss and love and you understood something on a deeper level. Like people who are into Bane are into Bane. And I'll still wear, sometimes I, I travel a lot for work now and I'll still wear my Bane stuff as I'm traveling. And once in a while, I will get somebody who we just click, you know, I've gone to tattoo artists just because they're into Bane. So you said you heard this first on like a sampler, you heard Bane first. And so what cycle was this? Was this around Give Blood time or was this even before? Yeah, it was before Give Blood time because it was, I remember it was, um, can we start again and count me out? And, you know, to think about it now, it was like so distinct. Um, I, I don't think I was on the internet at this moment. And I think I probably saw them next on that Hellfest DVD. And that's when I started to be like, go to the record store, get the Bane stuff. Because if have you seen that Hellfest 2000 DVD? I I feel like I have. I mean, I feel like it was like passed around. Like you had to watch it at that time. Yes. I remember watching Hellfest DVDs. It's like, I know that I've watched several of them. Um, I actually was kind of like looking... I saw part of the set today, but I'm trying to remember specifically. It's like, what Hellfest DVDs did I did I have or did a friend let me borrow? Like it was, you know, like so in that regard, it's like there was no way for me to avoid Bane. And there wasn't really any big reason other than, I guess we're saying the, the divorce. Uh, but it's just, yeah, Wilmington was definitely probably more like a converged town um and like converge or hoods or like you know madball or you know like if we were but a lot of it was even even more metalcore like this was to me it was either like i was into like punk but not even as much at the time or just like straight up metalcore and this was a little too like hardcore at the time so it wasn't like what i would grab so i would be like oh i'm gonna I liked like Acacia Strain or something. I, I don't know, like whatever yeah. kind of like more metallic type things. And I was just like, this isn't like hard enough for me. Yeah. You know, and, you know I think that's a, probably pretty common with a lot of people who didn't ever get into Bane. You know, of course, I'm a lyricist person, so I'm into that side of things and the words that he's saying. But I also I come from a hardcore. So, you know, if it was in my eyes or um, trial or ignite and all that kind of stuff, I was I was super into even like good, clean fun and stuff on the lighter end. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting when you talk about like that, that range. What's really cool about Bane, I think even all these records um, give blood. You don't see it as much. But the later stuff you do is, I think not only what the range of style that they had, but also too, it was a very collaborative band. Like Zach Jordan, who played guitar, um, he's, you know, one of the guitarists here. He's got a band called Silent Drive. And, you know, the yeah. man loves to new metal sing. He just does. And he's so into it. And because he's so into it, you're kind of so into it. And it's, it's cool, you know, you see it in the tours. Um, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, because I am, I would, what I would consider a super fan, you know, I've seen stuff when they were on tour with Saves the Day and a lot of lighter bands mm. um, and interesting bands because they didn't want all the same stuff in the scene. They understood that like diversity of thought and I feel like sound was important, right? Like it's one thing, I, I mean, I loved going to shows where every brand, band had incredible break, breakdowns and, you know, it was heavy and, you know, it was, you know, two-stepping all the time. But after a while, it is true, all these bands started to sound the same. 
And when yeah. you went to a Bane show, first of all, Bane doesn't really sound like a whole lot of other people, right? You, the frontman Aaron, um, you know, the, there's no one else in the world like that dude. He's just yeah, so no. goofy and weird. And I mean, I remember the first time that I saw Bane, um, I feel like it was with Crime and Stereo, which sounds weird because I can't tell you a Crime and Stereo song. Mm. But I went and I... I don't think I was like shocked by the way he looked, but I think I was surprised and it made me love Bane even more. Cause if you've never seen the lead singer, Josh, I know you have, but to anyone out there listening, he is not what you would call traditionally attractive at all. Yeah. And that's like, to me, that was awesome. That like, it, it was one of the few times that you can kind of look, I think in the scene at that time, when you see, you know, the Steve Madden shoes or diesel and the, you know, kind of more that, I don't even remember what you would call it, but the mad rad hairstyle kind of coming up in the scene. And here is a guy and really a band that was kind of misfitty altogether. And that mm -hmm. didn't necessarily get popular because of the way that they looked. And yeah. that to me is, you know, it's cool. It's inspiring too. Yeah. He, when I, I feel like the first time I saw Bane, I was, it was, you know, I was younger. Now I don't think I would like, none of us would care this much now but he felt to me like someone who owned like a bodega or something like it was just like a kind of regular looking dude kind of thing like you know guy that just like he, they none of them i'm just saying what you said like uh just kind of normal guys and that that wasn't like the he, a thing at the point like i feel like people really like dress a certain way uh and also like there's like uniformity with the band uh, you know, and they didn't really have that kind of memo and like, you know, press photos and stuff. But that is something that as I got older and after, after I saw them, I feel like I did start appreciating because there was the point where we actually, I think one of the main times, the first times probably that we hung out for like an extended period of time, uh, what, 2005 or 2006. Do you remember when that tour was? 2005. Okay, um, so the tour was Bane, Modern Life is War, Outbreak, and uh, this, is this is Hell. Yeah, and uh, well, one of the memories from it, it might not have been the same tour, but I believe you bought a This is Hell 7-inch and left it in your back window of your car, <laughs> and it did the, like, uh, potato chip kind of thing. Yes, it waved. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was very wavy, uh, but I was definitely, like, I thinking about my kind of outfit going into that weekend because I might have just worn the same thing the whole time. I feel like I was dressed like the stereotypical outbreak kid. Um, I had like an Allen Iverson jersey on and like a headband and probably camo shorts. And like I feel like I fit that kind of thing. And Wilmington's just, it, finest. Yeah. And it was like it kind of there was a lot of that with that whole package, but I also felt that kind of everyone seemed to like every band but it did feel like it was like you know they were like the steve madden shoe kind of kids or you know they were just different kind of crews like bane fan versus modern life is war fan and uh but it, it really made me appreciate bane a lot more than i had uh it kind of like took me out of the context because and too with like their recordings like nothing really like grabbed me until i saw them and the same with like modern life is war like i was a band that i was like i get where people like this but when you see modern life is war it's like 
you know, it's captivating and in the same way in different ways than like, you know, that Bane is. Yeah, you know, that that Hellfest DVD. I remember sitting there, and I probably watched that Hellfest DVD. I don't know, twenty five times in thirty days. I just couldn't get enough of it. Like Hellfest was like one of those places I just wanted to go, and I never went um, before I got shut down. But I remember watching it, and if you, I mean, you can Google it now and watch it. But when you see Aaron and Nick at the time was in the band, um, when you see them from Bane like just talk they're just like regular dudes they're ultra grateful to be there like it's it's so low-key it's their first Hellfest, and then you watch the recording i have goosebumps right now thinking about it you watch the recording i can i like i can never forget it the place goes wild like absolutely wild and it's they're probably on stage for like three four minutes but when you watch it um, they do, I think, what makes us strong, which is like a super short song, but then they go into superhero and the place goes nuts. And you think like, I remember just being a teenager, being like, what, what could ever make me feel that way? That I would just lose my mind. And also too, how about being in a place where you're so accepted and everyone's super supportive and that, you know, again, to speak to it, it was at a time I feel like in, if you were into punk and hardcore, metal, metalcore, you know, just insert those genres here where we were splitting it um, into yeah. all these subgenres. there was so much, there was so much divide. Right. And the billings of these shows were really, really tight. And there were people who all wore the same stuff and looked the same stuff, whether it was the basketball jerseys and camo shorts or whether it was everyone wearing black. And at a Bane show, you could literally just be whoever you want. I I think most Bane shows I have ever seen, there's a couple unifying things just about them. Uh, Number one, they wear the same thing um, on all the tours I've ever been on with them. They wear the same thing every night for the most part, like they'll wear the same clothes three or four nights in a row. And I mean, why, why would you do that? Because you don't care like how, like they, they literally don't care how they look. They're not here to impress anybody. They're here to freaking crush it. You know? Um, I, I remember Bedard, you know, the lead singer, he would always wear like this polo hat for a really long time. And like, also like a plaid button down over a t-shirt. And you're like, what is going on? Like, is this like, what is this? And the he, fact yeah. was, he was authentic. And because they were themselves, like Zach Jordan always wearing like, I mean, he wasn't wearing Jinkos at the time, but like he had like the metal ball necklace and he had like the the hoop earrings and stuff like that. And you're like, what, like, what is this guy? And you know what? He's just being himself. Like, and yeah. to me, that was one of those things I can tell, not just in this album, but just, I think them as a, like, as an entity, um, them existing gave everyone that ever saw them or dug them permission to be themselves. And that's why I think actually there was a lot of hate on them um, because they didn't conform. And they certainly had some pretty strong opinions about what it meant to be part of a scene, what it meant to be a good person, um, you know, what it what it meant to be a leader, I feel like. They were probably some of the first people that I ever saw that like took a stand that wasn't like, PETA, you know, like, like, you know, against animal abuse or testing or whatever, eating meat. Um, But instead, they took a stand about like, being yourself and being kind and being, you know, again, upset, but not violent. Yeah, I think some of the things of thinking of them as like a straight edge band, I think some of as they kind of progressed, uh, I feel like there were members that weren't explicitly straight edge, but 
like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Bedard and Dahlbeck were still straight edge and probably are still till to mm-hmm. today. So I, I feel like when I think of all the kind of straight edge bands of the time, uh, um, like I can't even think of any, but you know, just like any, um, X any disciple of ones ADX, that, like let's yeah. insert all the things with X's. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of a band name, and I was like, that can't really have been the band name. It was like True Till Death. That was a band name. Oh, a thousand percent. Uh, yeah, and I was like, I, I don't know. But I was like, that can't have been their real name, but I believe it was. But that kind of band, like that would have like X's in their name. They never felt like that, and they never felt like, Bane never felt like that was the reason. It's like you knew that he, they were straight edge, but the message felt bigger than that. Yes, you know. they were very all-encompassing. They were welcoming. They were tolerant, you know? And what was cool, too, is I think at the time, and you kind of mentioned it when you mentioned Equal Visions, I think there was that popularity of Krishna um, in the scene at the time, too. And, you know, Krishna is a belief system and a religion um, and an ideology. And Bane was one of those folks that like they didn't even need the ideology behind it you know like i think some people did assume they were a straight edge band um and they weren't but that doesn't mean that it ever stopped them from having values i mean i really admire straight edge people um i think just in general it was it it was something i never was but i admired so much the conviction to something and i think that's honestly like Bane really took a moral stance in a, in a lot of ways. And some of their morality really was, you know, looking at the world and, you know, not only having a perspective, but also challenging your own perspective and being accepting of other people and, you know, really living a values-led life, right? Like we can be tolerant up until the point where you become violent or you become tolerant up until the point where someone's being disrespected or abused or whatever. And Yeah. Do you feel like there was... Because I can never figure out this with my own path. It's like, was I, and I'm just thinking about like pop punk I was into, but even some of that being like kind of political and probably elementary school kind of level at points. But I'm like, was I drawn to that because of my disposition or did by listening to that, it kind of redefine how I thought of things. And so asking, do you think like, Bane changed the way you looked at things or if it's like chicken and egg kind of thing? I think, I, I think a couple things. I don't think I would be the person I am today if it wasn't for Bane. And the part of that is because when I heard them, I think I felt a lot less alone in some of my challenges. Um, you know, I remember, especially when I started to see them live, I was at a point in my life, which I think a lot of people get to in their late teens and early 20s, where you think the world is so flawed and screwed up. And mm-hmm. what what is this all for? You know, you realize that the people you love and trust are screwed up. Um, you realize, you know, maybe you have some major friendships that are changing and developing. And you think you kind of are eyes wide open to the world a little bit. Um, and what do I do? And I think Bane really provided, Bane probably provided a direction that said you can have an impact bigger than yourself and it's okay if everything like doesn't pan out. Like you can still be frustrated with the things that you love, um, but you've got to, I mean, not to quote the album here, but if you give more and you give everything and you give blood, and you give with yourself and in a heartfelt way, like you can make a difference. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but mm-hmm. like life is worth it. And I was never suicidal or anything like that. I think I just was 
angry at the like futility of the world, wondering like, how am I going to make my mark? Like, do I have to conform and, and grow up in a certain way? And uh, I think, no, I didn't have to. I, I could find power and be myself. And that's really like, that was cool too. I will also say, I think one thing I really admire about Bane is they never seem scared of the young bands coming up. Like we, mm -hmm. they, they took like With Honor on tour when they were a newer band. They um, went with Comeback Kid when they were younger. Yeah. Like, and that I think is really cool because they were, I mean, they weren't that young when, when you know, this album came out um, in comparison to all the teenagers that were starting bands. And yeah. they were never scared of it. Instead, they really encouraged it. And I think that's like another cool side that I picked up on really easily was that they were almost like the father uh, to a lot of bands. And I thought that was, that was neat. I loved the idea of you use your popularity to help someone else. And they were yeah. a band that kind of lived like that. Yeah, I'm actually trying to think of kind of like how old Dahlbeck would have been around this time. Um, so, okay, so the internet says that Dahlbeck is 48 years old. So thinking about this math-wise, uh, 74 to 2001 when this record came out. It'd be 27 so, or 28, right? Yeah, in hardcore standards, not very young, you know. And yeah, yeah, and and I'm much older than that. You're like, ooh, old. If you're a baseball pitcher, fine, but no. Yeah, and do you know if what Dahlbeck was there like a band before that, or did they just go? I think this person would be a good singer. Do you know the story behind that? Any how um how Bedard came into the fold? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, I know that Bane was Bane before him. And I know that at the time, um, I remember the interviews and maybe, maybe like lamb goat or something. Um, I remember he had like kind of left the scene for a little while and was doing more like rock stuff. And, you know, he's always been into a bunch of different music, like EDM and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. he was gone with the, um, like doing rock bands around Boston and he wanted to get back into the fold. And it, you know, it's like one of those beautiful things where, you know, you just hang around the crew and you come back. Cause that's what, that's yeah. one funny thing about hardcore is the scene um, at that time, I feel like it was so strong, especially in the Northeast um, that it was always going to be there. But I mean, to your point, you know, he probably was 28 or 30 when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, 27, 26, whatever. And so you think like, God, like, it's one thing to be in the scene when you're young-ish. I'll, I'll use young in quotes. It's one thing to be into something, anything. Um, the music scene in this case, when you're young and then you get disillusioned with it and you get fed up with it and you leave. But to make the choice to come back, I think that's part of the reason, again, you hear it in so much of Bane's albums, how much they truly love this scene and they believe in it and they care about people because they made the choice to come back. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, it, Aaron Delbeck could have gone on with an incredible career. I think Converge is still a band, um, mm -hmm. you know, and they've put yeah. out like freaking eight, nine, 10 albums at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was about something bigger than that. And that to me was always, always really cool. Yeah. I'm looking also that, uh, so I said that, Dawback was born in 74, but Bedard was born in 69. So even kind of showing a little bit more of like, like this band was not, I don't want to say to prove something, but it was like, we're going to make the best band. 
And I, I, I don't, as much as I feel like people would be like, oh, I'm not into Bane, I don't feel like in personally in any sort of way I was ever like, Bane is terrible. <laughs> you know, yeah, it just it was like, like felt it, like it, it was wasn't not disrespected. Yeah, yeah, that that is what I'm saying. Like, I felt like I res- at all points I respected. And, you know, I know that there's probably just people out there that are probably just disrespecting Bane right now. But I always felt like it's like, it's not my cup of tea, but this, they stand for something, you know? And that's interesting, too, thinking of them like, well, now at my advanced age, um, like <laughs> thinking about, you know, like he's like, he was closer to where I am in age at the point of their second album you know so it's like it's just kind of wild in hardcore terms like yeah at what being point 32 at. 33 putting out one of the yeah. most iconic hardcore records of all time and touring yeah. with bands that are full of 18 to 21 year olds yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah wild. and this is a band that well when did uh so bane didn't break up until like what 2015 yeah 2015 2016 last show so still 14 years after the point we're talking about this record, they were still, you know, pretty active. Like you would get a Bane tour like every year. Yeah. You know? they like were I don't think they active. were at that point. They were, they're probably around the last album. I don't think they had been as active, but I feel like you were still getting a tour like every year. Yeah. They put, they yeah. put out Give Blood in 01. They put out The Note in 05. And then they put out Don't Wait Up, I think in... 2014 maybe i mean yeah think about that there was nine years between albums and they still sold out and brought out kids you know and that to me is like i have goosebumps thinking about it because it's so much bigger than a band it's so much bigger than the songs i remember i had a very distinct realization at a, a low point in my adult life and um it was the fact that I wanted to be a professional speaker, that I wanted to be a professional motivational speaker. And it came from thinking about the most joyful times in my life, the the times where I felt like as an individual, I loved this. Like it didn't matter who was around me, all this kind of stuff. And the memory that came to me was like the Bane shows. And at the time I was really missing it because they were starting to wind down. We knew the last show was coming up and, uh, you know, thinking about that, it's like Bane wasn't ever so much a band as they were that, like, the words between the songs were just as meaningful as screaming along to the lyrics. And that, to me, it's a great example of when you stand for something, how loyal people will be, how meaningful the things you do are. And especially when you have the courage to really stand up, even if you are the smallest voice in the room. And, um, you know, they definitely, they weren't the most popular that they could have been probably, but damn, they were talented and they were beloved by the people that really got into them. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, it definitely felt like it's, if it were a 200 cap room, it would always be like completely full. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe in some sort of like, if I'm a booking agent guy, they should have like become the thousand cap room band and they probably were at some point, but Whatever kind of people expect, maybe they didn't get to that point. But I feel like the if it's a room of 200 people, everyone there wants to be there for them, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't, you know, I don't have that. So, you know, that's like an interesting thing to kind of have. Like it's like if you get to a point that you're like at the top of your career, but you feel like everyone there just wants to be there for you, 
it's hard to call it like a failure and it's hard to say with like okay so with hardcore bands it's like it's different because there's always kind of a cap on it but even when i think of like let's say like a radio rock band and then they get to a point where they're playing like our local venue like neighborhood theater like technically based on the fact that they were playing like stadiums at one point like one would be like oh wow that band fell off but if the rest of your career you're playing 800 cap rooms <laughs> you know it's like it's not it that's not a bad place to be yeah and so i think there's like a humility that people kind of have to have that that i'm all that to say i'm saying that i felt that bane had until like the very end of the, the most band. the most grateful band I have ever seen or been around or witnessed like, you know, you hear it in all the interviews they've ever done, you know, like I remember um, writing for a zine once so I could specifically interview them because I am that nerd. And I remember interviewing them at New Brooklyn in Columbia in the back room, um, back room, like back alley. And, you know, we're having this interview and, you know, there were general questions and you know, one of the things I was like, you know, what's your favorite part about being in Maine? And he's like, that it, this is Bedard I'm interviewing. And he's like, that I never forget. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch alive. And yeah. like, yeah, could you imagine doing something day in and day out? And no matter, and by the way, that show might have had 40 people at it and it was hot as hell. And it was, you know, it was packed, it was small. Could you imagine going through like, you know, some of the lyrics on this album really, I think, resonate with that. It's like, you know, I can, you know, things are tough and I'm doing this for you. And, I, you know, to be honest, like you always knew Bane was kind of broke. You know, they were just a touring band that never made it big enough to stay in hotels all the time and all that kind of stuff. But they loved it all and they felt like at least to me i was felt the energy of i'm leaving it all out on the table every single night i'm doing this for you this is what i meant to do and when you see somebody that's like standing in that kind of love and gratitude and like servant leadership to be quite honest it you know you're different because of it yeah i feel like and i, I don't know specifically with their tours it's like you would still see them like in a van you know but then some of their contemporaries i feel like would be on like buses but i also think that some of those bands either we don't remember in the same way or they're kind of back in vans because i think that there's like a almost like a pride thing that happens with a lot of bands and they start getting like bigger vehicles and it's like you have to prove something but i think like everyone in bane had kind of like been (laughs) to a point where they've been in those kind of cycles they've been on those tours and things like you know, with, with, uh, Dahlbeck and like only crime and things like with all these people, you know, silent drive, you're saying too, uh, they've kind of been through the ringer, I yeah. guess. Is and Bobby, we can Bobby use. was in yeah. reach the sky, you know, yeah. like they're, they were in big bands and what's really cool to, you know, to your point is th- there was a low amount of ego in the room when they were there. I, it, one of the coolest parts, um, to me was, you know, when especially when you're the headlining band, you might watch other bands once in a while. Bane was always out there watching the other bands. Bane was mm. always out there. Um, I remember a show I went to once, and I'm embarrassed to say it might have been Verse. Um, it it was definitely another Massachusetts, like New England, Rhode Island, whatever kind of band. Long story short, is the freaking show it started late or it was like super short. Verse got to play like two songs. 
And so what Bane did was they brought them back out and was like, we're going to give these guys two more songs because, you know, three songs ain't shit. And we want them to get, you know, we want you all to enjoy and hear what we hear on an every night basis. And, you know, I mean, I love verse, but I didn't know them at the time. And I, I wouldn't have thought much after three songs, but the fact that Bane co-signs all those folks, I remember, um, and I think you might've been at this tour too, but the FC five tour when they brought over those Japanese guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. know, like these guys hardly spoke any English. And, you know, they, they actually stayed with us um, one night on that tour. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, I remember being a teenager and thinking, why of all the bands? And it was good enough to them, in my opinion, to be great people and be like into their music. And that was enough to bring them on tour and to like, you know, have them have them around. Um, yeah. It's just such an unusual, especially at the time. You know, you look back and I think like, how lucky was I, how lucky were all of us to, to have that, especially in the context, it doesn't mean that I wasn't into other bands, but it just was, I wouldn't be the same if I hadn't seen that amount of like tolerance and like really standing up for your friends and making space where there isn't any and like, and using, again, they would watch the other bands because they were fans of them in the back of the room. And they, it wasn't yeah. ever like, I remember one time we saw Blacklisted in Columbia and um, I was a fan of Blacklisted and it was the first time I ever saw them. And I distinctly remember the lead singer, he wouldn't come out of the van until it was their time. And then he went like back in the van and it always left a super sour taste in my mouth. I was like, dang, yeah. man, like you've traveled all this way. People are so pumped to see you. Um, I get it, it's in a junky VFW, but you're too good. Like what's going on yeah. there? And I also wanna respect and acknowledge like, I bet they were exhausted. You know, like everyone has a right to sit there. It just was such a weird, it was a weird thing I'd come to expect and hope from people I, I respected and admired um, was that yeah. they they were community based. And it's not the it's not the case with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of tours that are obviously built in a way to just sell tickets. And it's like, what's going to kind of sell tickets for the time? And like when I think of that specific tour, you know, uh, the one we were talking about, this is hell outbreak. Uh, outbreak were probably like at the top of their point then but just like i felt like all of it was hand-picked you know kind of to the point that you're saying like it's just who they want to be out on the road with you know it's like maybe there was some other hot shit band at the time that would have sold more tickets but it's like these are the people we want to be out with yeah. uh, but one of the things i was thinking about because you said it kind of earlier what do you think it is that like makes made you kind of like pay attention to the lyrics and okay so personally i feel like, i guess it's because like i was raised on metal or you know i don't really know what it is but i often felt like vocals are important like you know, i can tell when something's like bad lyrics and i'm like oh cringe but <laughs> it's like vocals are oftentimes like another instrument to me so mm -hmm. it's like the intonation of it you know the person's vibe and it's it's not that it's important, but like to hear people being like, that's like why they're there, you know? So were there other bands that you feel like kind of fit a little bit, even if they're, they don't rise to the occasion that Bane does, but you were mentioning like in my eyes and like, what was, if you have any way to even think about why. Are you, are you asking like why lyrics were so important or other sure. bands? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know it seems like a simple question, but it's like, no, I guess it's, it's like, it's it's an interesting thing because I think some episodes, it's like seeing where people kind of like sit because sometimes people, you know, half of the time people are like, you know, honestly, because sometimes I feel kind of embarrassed by it, but it's like my brain just sort of like that guy sounds cool or something, yeah. you know, like that's what I go to first. Totally. Well, yeah. you know, I think... Um, you know, part of it, and I've heard you say this on previous podcasts when when chatting, um, you know, I think part of it is that it's whatever you're more inclined to. Like, I don't have any musical talent whatsoever. And so, you know, because I don't, I, I hear music and I hear it all together. I rarely hear individual instruments. I can't identify what's doing what. Uh, for the longest time, I definitely thought the drum beats were guitars. Like, it, it's weird. I don't have an ear for that. So I think part of it, you know, just to honor what you're saying is, you know, I think you, um, like music is very universal and you were able to distinguish things. Also too, leaning into the feeling of music versus leaning into the feeling of words. Um, you know, to me, I am more of a reader. I've always been that way. Um, and while I love music, I think I always, the part of music that I probably love the most, this probably says something about me, but it's when it comes through me and I can project it back out. So the sing-alongs was a big part of my childhood mm. and the, you know, being really attached to it and sharing music, right? When I take in music, it I love that it makes me think of someone or that it makes me think of a time or a place or a feeling. And a lot of times it's going to be the lyrics that are attached to it. Right. And to me, when you think about bands like Bane, um, you know, Bane is just a motivational speaker <laughs> set to music. Like a lot of times yeah. their lyrics are. Um, and I was into positive hardcore, you know, and when you think about it was probably great counteract to where I was at the time in my life and probably how I still am is that I feel a variety of very intense emotions almost all the time. And they were someone, um, I, I think probably in ilk with definitely, you know, we said it, but the, in my eyes, the ignite, you know, even like people like 10 yard fight and bad brains. And, you know, I remember distinctly not, you know, I know everybody is into Black Flag, but that was a great example of a band I didn't get. Uh, the first CD I remember ever being like, oh, this is cool, was Green Day Dookie. And mm -hmm. I didn't relate to Green Day Dookie at all, but I thought, it, you know, I thought the music yeah. was cool. Um, but yeah, I think to me too, and, and this is just, it probably hits at the right time, but Bane was so weird to listen to like you know for anyone out there who's never listened to this album just put on any track and just listen to this guy's voice it was so weird you know i had to know what was so important what was so great that they made this guy the lead singer and to me the lyrics you know like the poetry um that he really has you know and and the metaphors you know he's a big poker player and all that kind of stuff i just loved listening to it yeah, I am looking at that. He sang in, before Bane. He sang for a band called Backbone, and he then formed Raging Hope, and I believe that was all before Bane. So just in case anyone's screaming that at the thing, they know the answer to the question that I posed earlier. Uh, but Can't I wait feel like to he's see like all the hate mail you get on this episode. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I feel like he is the perfect guy for this band because I think that things could have gone down so much differently had they had a different singer. Um, and he also, it's like he's unique enough that he doesn't have that flair 
and I'm saying this in a good way, actually, to the person I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm condescending to, but um, he he has a sort of flair that reminds me of Ray Capo from Youth to Today, but not as intense, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like it allows it to bring it because usually when people hear Youth to Today for the first time. It's like you're either in or you're out because he's just like, it's very polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, I love it. But like Bane, you know, uh, so Bedard is just like kind of like close to that. So I I like the character that it gives. But it's, you know, it's not as cartoony, you know, but it's like you can feel that character in it. And everything isn't like right. And everything isn't like you know kind of yelled probably in a way that would have been like more popular for the time because this was like this is peak metalcore you know and even they have they have a split with adamantium i believe then that's like way more on the metalcore side yeah that i feel like so they're you know just always kind of doing their own thing like but when you're thinking about like the lyrics to this specific record like what things kind of pop out to you on you know you don't have to go song by song but like if you're if it kind of recalls since because with listen i'll tell you with listening to it i can it's like i can tell all the emotions of it i know what all these songs basically are about but i feel like knowing you there's like phrases that are just burned into your brain that i i don't have from this Yeah. yeah um you know one thing that i really acknowledge about all all being albums is they're actually quite well read um which i am super into and i think you are a lot of the bands that you listen to they've got some like depth of intelligence and worldliness and i think it's in this context you know you know you bring up um bedard's age at the time you know he's 32 33 34 um around this time and the ideas of you know live live the life that you love love the life that you live you know like that that's it's not his words he's quoting what's in the place by his house you know the idea of um you know, if there's nothing left for me to believe in, if not you, if not this, what else is there but death? That to me is fascinating because he's like, he's acknowledging how much he believes in, in, in this example, it's the scene, it's music, it's friendship, but like, he's nothing without that community. And I, I think at the time that really struck me because I was feeling very lone wolfy and, and alone. Um, you know, he's got a lot of metaphor, I think, around love. And love is actually something that was, I feel like, a really hot topic and always has been in music. But at the time that this came out, there were a lot of albums and bands that were just talking about girls and, you know, yeah. relationships and stuff. And he rarely does. You know, uh, some of my favorite songs, one of them, Sunflowers and Sunsets on this album, you know, he talks about... Um, just wishing his life was a movie and pretending it. And, you know, he's got this broken halo to the sky, which, you know, halo to the sky always makes me think a lot about myself and the idea that like, you know, you, you were raised to be, you know, an angel or, or be good and life happens and we're not, we're not good. Right. We're all the sides of good and evil and dark and light and, you know, Annie up by far is my favorite record on the album. It's the only music I've got tattooed on me. Um, and that always hit me because there was, there's like such an anger and a sadness and he wants to quit and, you know, but then he talks about having the guts to raise with the highest hand or the second highest hand. And it's this idea about like going all in on something, even if you don't know if it's going to work out, even if you don't know someone might have a better hand, like 
it doesn't mean that you don't try or you shouldn't try because if you care it does matter and there's bigger things in life than winning there's that that line where he goes you know and if i can still be misty like mystified by pretty smiles crushes and mixtapes then things really aren't so bad and it's that idea of like bringing it back to life like life is a gamble but like you should play it like you should go all in like when you care um enough about something and again it like it it all kind of comes together but this album has a lot of i am like i am here for you this is happening with the people i care about like i'm going all in and a lot of self-leadership like the world is going to do what the world's going to do but like that last part of you know give blood where it's just like um you know i mean honestly this one isn't one of my favorite songs on the album but there's this one called the big gun down and it says the few that i would trade 10 days to spend one hour with and it like a like a ruby at the bottom of the sea or a sparrow in a kitten's jaw and it's so precious and it's so sad and that that really struck me at a time i think where i was not only forming some like deep friendships but also wondering like if the world was so sour like i was opening up to the realities of the world and it was like a reminder to like stick in it and really be close to the people you care about like you know everyone is not for me and i'm not for everyone but there's going to be some people and some things in life that make it all worth it yeah one thing i think about like people that kind of like have this sort of impact on people's life like the lives they lead they're just like it's kind of it feels like such a bummer it almost feels like like when i think of people in like bands like this it's almost like they're like someone in the movie armageddon it's like you shouldn't be you shouldn't have to pay taxes after like writing <laughs> these records that have like helped people in certain ways because it's like yeah so he just has to like go back to work after like sort of like <laughs> making Sell, i know it sounds grillo's, silly but it, selling grillo's pickles yeah yeah i was i was thinking about that uh it was just like just the fact that like you pour your heart out on something like this and spend like so much of your life around it. And I hope he doesn't hear this cause I feel like it sounds bad, but then you just have to, I mean, every band has this feeling. You just he, like, so <laughs> these lyrics have changed your life so much, but like he still has to go play poker to pay his rent or something from mm -hmm. stuff I've heard, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, kind of a bummer i don't have any big point about it it's just like sometimes bones me out that yeah, these there's... like artists in general pour so much of their lives into people and it affects them in ways that have like guided you to a different place you know in some ways and more serious ways there's obviously people that wouldn't be here if it weren't for bane you know like yeah. you know oh, and then you just you know so it's interesting to think of like art affecting such a way that they it's, can never be paid back for it's it's like the true tragedy right yeah because i mean tragedy's got to have great love and then there's got to have great loss and one of the one of the lines on this album is uh you know um at a time when everyone and everything the setting sun was asking why are we here and i'm pretty sure now i will never know and that's like the final line of that of, of a song and you think about it and it's like that acceptance of like um we don't know why we're here we don't know what tomorrow brings we don't know what we're gonna do we don't know if this will pan out 
if if this will end in squalor, if this doesn't make a, a dent, but that like acceptance and that like, I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I think one thing that really did I carry on in my own life, I hope in my relationships, in my community, in my work, um, is the idea that like, if I can help someone and if I can change one person's life and help them, then that this was all worth it. And I really, yeah. I believe that. And I think that Bedard did too. And I think, you know, everyone else in the band, I think that's what's cool about it. It's an ethos kind of band. So, you know, I, I would challenge anyone to name a hardcore band or a metalcore band that did as many fundraisers as Bane did, you know, whether it mm -hmm. was for, you know, Team Skyler and Childhood Cancer or whether it was, I mean, Brendan McGuire, who was in the band for a long time, he recently passed away from cancer. And I mean, they did tons of fundraisers for him. They, they did. Yeah, they just were a community support band, you know, in a way, because like they were using their platform to make a difference. And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, Ray Capo and you said today, the only comparison I could ever kind of hear, I wasn't a huge Rise, Rise Against fan, but some people would say like Bedard occasionally sounded like Rise Against. And I think it was less in vocals and more like Rise Against was a band that stood for something for a really long mm -hmm. time. And I think if we're going to stand for something and we're going to make a difference, then that's got to be the, the, the payoff has got to be just the example we set, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, the beauty, I think, between people who create incredible art and people who have an incredible legacy. And that's that's I, the Bane, I, Bane thing. I think what's like it feels almost like their lyrics, like thinking of across the board, feel almost like a positive nihilism. Like, it's like there might not really be any true point to life. The only true point is kind of to do a kindness to someone else, like do community, you know, oh. because like, I don't know if there's anything else, Yeah. you know? And I, I think that while that, like some days it's like, I'm, I don't know, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, I don't know if there's any point to being alive, but this, if you can find something that brings you joy, I think that's the point of everything. So it may not like save you but it might save someone else. Yeah. You know, that's what I feel like. It's like a lot of like his words are saying, and it, it's kind of a bummer, but I also feel like it's, it's like sometime when I think of that, I'm like, well, if this is it, then, you know, I, I think in a corner, it feels like what's crazy about Bane is like, it feels like it should land so corny because I know so many different examples of this. And I know like just thinking of even like Annie up, but it's like the way they're able to say it, because like essentially the song is The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. But <laughs> it's like but it's like they're able I, to I, say it in a certain way that because I mean, it's like it's because it's like they take out those things that make it too on the nose. Like how you were saying that, you know, there's a tons of kind of relationship songs, but they don't make it like a you did this to me kind of thing, you know, that yeah. a lot of people were doing at the time and still do. Uh, by kind of taking out a little bit of that context of like pointed the like it's able to speak more so for you because uh -huh. like we'd all do that like I can hear a song that's like meant to you know it's like the Alanis Morissette song that's about uh, Dave Coulier you know but you can hear a song like that and be like wow I feel that but it's like to kind of have something almost be so universal that it becomes so specific is yeah. very tough to do.
Well, and to that point too, you know, like love is obviously a common theme uh, just in life and in music, but to have it on so many things that are community-based, I feel like, and relationship, platonic relationship and friendship-based, right? Like think about the songs about your best friend or a group of people that you support or the group of people that you're a part of that you are disappointed in, but still want them to be better and believe that they can be better. Like those are all very unique in a way, unique universal positions, right? We've all had a group of people, family is a good example, that we love, but we want them to do better. Or we might be disappointed in the way that they behave or speak or act or whatever. And I think Bain's acknowledgement just in general to talk about like more nuanced things, to do it in a way, like you said, you know, I, I really do laugh. Like I could see where it could be corny, but on the other side of it, um, that piece, you know, to your point, the, the nihilism, I think the peace with the complexity of life, with sometimes the futility of it, you know, in all the times I've probably, I probably saw Bane, I don't know, a hundred times in my life. I saw them a lot. Do you think it's, a, it's like, that's not an exaggerated number. It's probably close to that. No, it's probably close. Yeah. Wow. A thousand percent. And when I think about um, all those shows, you know, the one song they never played was a song from what I consider their first album. Um, and it's called Her Lucky Pretty Eyes. And I it, I think one of the final shows I ever saw them at, um, Bedard and I were talking and I said, why did, why, did, why don't you ever play this? Because, you know, they'd ask sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? And I, you know, I wanted to hear that. And uh, he said that it still hurt too much to sing it. And that's mm. that's the only song that they have that's explicitly about a romantic relationship. And uh, it reminds me of something my therapist said a couple of years ago. She said, we don't tell stories that still hurt us. You know, you don't have to. And to me, that, again, it just, I don't know, it's just so interesting the way that life does go and, and how much you pour out in service of other people. I feel like this band did a lot of that um, and really believed in the impact that they could have while still holding back a little bit more. You know, if, mm -hmm. if, when you really do think about it, if this album came out in 2001 and Bedard was born in 69, he's 33 years old when it comes out. So let's say that he's in his, you know, 31, 32 when he's writing these lyrics and it comes into my 16 year old brain, 15 year old, 16, 17 year old brain. It's like the older brother we all wished we had, you yeah. know, and that's like that is a freaking gift because I know he's still doing bands and stuff. But, you know, here I am and just I don't know. Yeah, it was, it's still having that much of like an impact on your life to this day. But one thing I think about like the idea that it's almost like they could take a lesser hardcore band or maybe a just as good one, but they're doing a different thing. Um, like a song like it would be like Stab Me in the Back, you know, but it feels like it's like he's like, but what does that really mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what a lot of Bane songs feel like. It's like, it takes that kind of like direct emotion, like about a friendship that you were saying, uh, and kind of, you know, some bands wouldn't really flesh it out and that's fine, but you feel like it's like, what did this emotion, it's almost like being at the therapist. It's like, you know, this person hurt my feelings. And then your therapist is like, but what do you mean they hurt your feelings? Like, what is it saying to you? You know, and that's what, a lot of this kind of rings to me when I'm yeah. actually listening to the lyrics. What's interesting too, is I think Bedard was probably the first person that I like quote unquote felt like I knew that had lost their parent. 
So Bedard's mom died when he was in his, I think, late teens. And there's a couple like nods to her through this. Um, it, you know, one of their first um, songs that I, I loved, you know, when you're getting into the, you know, when you get into a band and you go to all the deep cuts, um, there's a song and it talks about like, um, it's called A Place in the Sun and it talks about how much I love my mother or like how much I miss my mother, but how much I've grown to love my father. And there's such a deep like aspect of loss in this too, that I think is beautiful that we like, it's like, I don't know. It, it This album specifically has that juxtaposition of great love, great loss, and knowing that like time, like time marches on that we have to like keep going with it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that this was the, so of course this is the record you picked, but if you were to pick like a, second place or actually let me say it a different way what record by bane would you recommend to someone that hasn't listened to them would it be this album or would it be another one? Oh, that's a stellar question i think if you really want to get into them it really depends on where you're starting from and what you're into yeah. i would say probably the most commercially accessible if you're going to go with that slant would probably be the note that's their 2005 record um mm -hmm. that has it you know it has great production it's um it's it's got a lot more i think formulaic stuff it's longer than 26 minutes you know yeah um not if, much but yes yes um <laughs> but if if you really want i think the essence of pain um I mean, this album, to me, this album's perfect, minus the fact that when they had it mixed, um, and when they had it mixed, it's a little too low. Like, it is a softer um, mix, so you can never, like, crank it up and have it be as loud as it should be. Oh, okay, it is not a yeah. loud album, which is yeah. super disappointing because um, it all comes down to this is a very loud album, but the production's not very good. So you're uh -huh. like, even if you were to blast it, it's like, mm. but, you know, to me, you're talking to somebody who likes things very loud. Yeah, um, and do you feel like you've noticed that across different formats of this record? Or is that like a streaming thing? I think it's the way it was mixed. Because when I had it, okay. uh, yeah, when I had it on CD, um, yeah, it all comes down to this just hit a lot harder, which was a bummer uh -huh. because to me, Give Blood is so loud and explosive and out of the gate that I could never turn it up as loud as I wanted it to be. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I feel like that happens when it's like mixed a certain way. It's like, you feel like you want it. It's like, I want more. It's almost like you're mixing in your head. You're like, I want more guitar so I can get this up. But if I do, then the vocals are too high. And it's like, you can't mm -hmm. like balance it. So it makes it like a weird thing. But even like things feel like compressed because it actually, it does sound like it's like someone uploaded the like uh, vinyl master uh, because it, it has like, a, I feel like the previous album feels like more sharp would be the way. And this feels like more round. Yeah, you know, I think they uh, wanted yeah. like a more a more polished approach, which they definitely got. But actually, that as I was um, listening to it, it brought back a funny memory this time around. I remember um, to add to the Converge beef, if we could full circle this. Yeah, Jake Bannon did the insert for it all comes down to this and Bane yeah. hated it. Um, and I think Bane liked I, I forget like the exact story, but 
it was like I think they were disrespectful to some of the photos, like because the lyrics were over the the photos in the insert, and that like kind of caused like a starter riff between Bane mm. and Converge. Yeah, and um, you know, it's interesting to think about that now because I'm like, I don't think they were ha- they were as happy with all of it, um, and so to go to like a more polished and a more like they realized they wanted more control over their music. So seeing this album was like a I don't know, it was departure, but you know, anybody who got to see them live with this album, you know, it was just as loud, it was just as raw, it was just as passionate. I mean, people, y'all, if you had not seen Bane and you're listening to this, I cannot tell you one single band on earth that makes people lose their mind in such a wonderful way. Like, I mean, this album is great. The live shows were even better, even better. Yeah. Yeah, and just... To Lost note, it. with the it all comes down to this. Um, so anyone listening to this, uh, it was produced by this guy named Steve Austin, uh, which is funny. But um, he Opening played in this. <laughs> he played in this band called Today Is a Day, and I feel like almost every album that he produces is is like mixed in a way that sounds like a Today Is a Day record, like in your face <laughs> kind of high end. So I feel like there was a time frame where everyone was kind of going to him, and they all kind of have that like that intense CD master kind of thing like that. Um, so they, yeah, I guess then with give blood, it was like a effort to kind of like go the other way with, it. Oh, Brian McTiernan produced this. So that's interesting. Yeah. That he, battery, uh, be well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so what Dahlback plays and be well now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It really mm-hmm. full circle moments. It is full circle. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, but there was a point I feel like Brian McTiernan was like producing everything. Yeah, yeah. it was a it was a good time. You know, it's funny is to think about like how many studios and I mean like um, I always forget which um, record label Jake Bannon did. Do you remember that? Shoot, uh, I, you asked me. So I mean, uh, Death Wish. Well, I don't know. Death why. Wish. It's yeah. like you asked me, and I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> yes. remember anything anymore. But yeah, yeah Death Wish. But, but it's a, like it's an interesting time because you know you watch all the old heads, you know, become producers or record label owners, right? And yeah, yeah Brian was definitely one of those things where it's like too old to tour, and you know, um, so I guess I'm gonna be a producer now. Well, it's which... funny. It's like too old to tour at that point, and now he's like back on the road. Let's be well. It's like I don't know. That's thousand, so a thousand funny. percent. I, I want to honor too. You know, one of the great things about Bane not just was um, their live shows, but I mean, even as they got older, I mean, Bedard is, was touring like that last show. He was probably 47, 46. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wouldn't go on stage. Actually, yeah, he was probably that age, um, but he wouldn't go on stage. He had like double knee braces on yeah i, re- I know, feel like i remember that yeah yeah, man he like he was beat up and you know he had these like weird jumps and like is he was so like gangly and i mean oh man his teeth weren't that great they might they might not still be but you know like again you just didn't care you just loved him for who he was and he gave it his all all the time and when you watch somebody i just want to honor this when you watch somebody who loves what they do and loves who they do it with and loves who they do it for. I dare anyone not to be inspired by that. You know, like he left yeah. it all out on the table and the whole band did. Like they just, they seemed like they had a blast even through changing members and, you know, not putting out new albums. Like, I mean, talk about too, just, you know, and again, I'm not a musician. I know you are Josh, but it's like, 
avoiding that pressure to create new stuff all the time. Like they, they, I feel like we're really proud of their catalog and they were proud of who they were and they let life happen. You know, people had kids and started businesses and, you know, started other bands and it was all, at least from the outside, it seemed all groovy because that's the way life goes, you know, just because. Yeah, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. And it's something I've wrestled with and I'm trying to get on the other side. But it's like it is rest. It's wrestling with it because it's like I want to just like live a life. I love the neighborhood that that we both live in. And it's like I want to be home more, you know, and but it's like I don't want to like hang things up. And I'm not even doing it on the level that they were. So it's an interesting thing for a hardcore band, especially to take a nine year gap. And it, and it didn't feel like it was like a reunion record. It was just like, this is our life. And we'll, we know we'll get back to it when we get back to it. Yeah. And so that's like an interesting thing. But I guess like since I've held you so long, I, I kind of want to think about the like, how do you feel like Bane influences you as a public speaker now? And I think you've kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, like if you're up on stage, like is and I, I know it might sound kind of silly, you know, like you're giving it your all. But is there something like that that you feel like you're thinking of like Bane or this type of hardcore uh, when you're up on stage? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I channeled that a lot. I think it's interesting because, you know, public speakers have a variety of backgrounds. Some people spoke in church and that's how they that's how mm-hmm. a lot of speakers are. Um, some people were successful CEOs and, uh, you know, it's fun to talk about it now and like tell you like, yeah, I mean, I realized that Bain was a motivational speaking band in a way and that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to help people feel like Bain had helped me feel and, you know, some of the lessons I probably keep with me are, you know, it's never the wrong time to, to do the right thing. You know, I've been in places where maybe the speaker before me has said something extremely um, biased or, um, I mean, racist, sexist, you can, you can name it, you know, on it just deeply, um, not inclusive. And, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that thinks all the time, like, do I do, do I do the normal thing, the expected thing, or do I do the right thing? And to me, I'm always really proud of what I do and what I say, because I know a, I believe in the influence I have over folks and the ability to influence the way people think and feel um, and act. But also too, that at the end of the day, um, I remember, (laughs) I remember occasionally hearing stories about how like Bedard would get beat up after shows, um, especially by like crews in New York and New Jersey and, you know, Philly and stuff like that. And I think about that a lot because, you know, he would call people out and he would say, don't, you know, we don't fight. We don't disrespect. He would make fun of crews to their face and say, you know, like, what is this elitist, you know, BS that you've got going on? Like, that's not why we're here, you know, all this stuff. And I think about like putting yourself on the line and like endangering yourself because it was at the benefit of everyone else. Like doing that didn't help him instead of put him in the target, but it helped everyone else have a peaceful show and nobody get hurt and all that kind of stuff. And I think about that sometimes in in what I do, not just in that, like, because I have a microphone, I have more influence and power 
than most other people. It's kind of like that scene in The Wedding Singer um, halfway yeah. through it where Adam Sandler has like been dumped and he's doing the bar mitzvahs and he goes back and does his first wedding. And, you know, he's like all depressed on the mic and he's like, you know, like, uh, you know, love's not going to happen or it'll never stick. And the father of the bride's like, you know, you better shut up right now. And Adam Sandler's yeah. like, sir, I have this microphone and I'm talking now. And if you don't like it, I will come over there and strangle you. You know, like yeah. the person with the mic has the power. So yeah, I think about it. And I also think too, um, pers personally, one of the things I really bring, and it's because of Bane, is I'm able to hold a lot of multiple emotions on stage at the same time. Like when people hear motivational speaker, um, it means like, oh, we're just talking about all really happy stuff and rah, rah and all that stuff. Like, no. In every program I do, I I go through, you know, the, the top peaks and the very sad valleys because it's that tapestry of life. Like nothing can all be one way. And that's good. Like that's yeah. that. And by the way, that's the truth. Right. And we can't just gloss over it. Um, and yeah, I would say. I don't know. You just say what's true. Right. And if yeah. you really believe it, people pick up on that authenticity. And that's why I feel like I've had a lot of success, um, not just like on stages with people, but like also among my speaking peers. I consistently get a lot of comments about my energy and a, a lot of comments about my authenticity. And yeah, I mean, honestly, if Bane can do it, then so could I. I think I think about yeah. that a lot because I am not, you know, a super skinny, blonde, um, kind of like woman that a lot of times you see as a speaker. You know, you have to be perfect and you have to present. Um, I'm just me and me is good enough. And when I'm myself, people can resonate with that. I don't doubt for a second the words that Bane would say. Welcome back. Thanks again to Rachel for coming on the pod. It was awesome talking about Bane. Can't really say we caught up because I see Rachel all the time, but it was amazing having that type of conversation with Rachel because usually we're just talking about day-to-day -day things. Okay. Next week, we're talking with Nicolette Alvarez of Pool Kids about the Sugar Cubes' album, Life's Too Good. So tune in next week. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And follow us on social media, that's Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast, And just leave a comment. It really helps. That's what I'm told. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.